My name is Ryan Miner. I am the host of a Minor Detail podcast. Several of the Montgomery County Board of Education candidates are joining a Minor Detail podcast for the first time to discuss their candidate platforms and the issues that will inevitably decide the future of our local education system. Shepra Evans is the current president of the Montgomery County Board of Education. She is running for re-election in District 4. Shepra joins me now. Okay, for anybody tuning in, good afternoon. My name's Ryan Miner. This is a Minor Detail podcast that is both video and audio. So the, the recorder is a plan and the mixer is working. And with me now is our Board of Education president, Shebra Evans. She's also running for re-election to the Montgomery County Board of Education. And you know what? I think I first met Shebra at a Dunkin' Donuts over off of, uh, I think it was 355 in Goody. Yes. We, <laughs> and we talked about some education policy and we had the opportunity to exchange some ideas um uh, four years ago around this time when you were running for the first time and here you are wow board of education president and now that we're in the middle of COVID-19 Shep I imagine you you have your hands full well good afternoon Ryan thank you so much for having me um, you're right. So it wasn't my first time running. It was my second time. Actually, I ran in 2014. That's right. I don't know if you remember. Yes. And then ran for re-election in, um, well, not, not re-election, ran again for the District 4 seat in 2016. And then here I am running for re-election in District 4 seat and currently serving as president. <clears throat> so no, you're right. These are some interesting times that we are in with COVID-19 and MCPS has been working really hard to make certain that we are prepared during this um, school closure time. Um, as you all know, the state superintendent said that we would be closed until April the 24th, which is a Friday. And so um, prior to that, the system was trying to get everything in place to make certain that there would be a continuing, a continuing, a continuing, a continuation of learning for our students. Um, online, which is something new for us. Not new in a sense that our kids had not been doing online learning, but all of their learning now will be online as a result of us not being in the school building. So um, wow. just uh, very... It, um, it's been interesting. Ahead, I was going to say, it it's, you, I know you're, you have kids in the school system and we have uh, two kids, one at Wooten and one at Robert Frost. Mm-hmm. And they've been home for the last two weeks, but I'll tell you what—we've been putting them to work. There's no, uh, <laughs> there's no downtime for them. They thought maybe this would be like a, a snow break, but mm-hmm. we mm-hmm. are. My wife is home, and uh, I've I've been home for most of the time, and so yep. we have been giving them instruction. I know that we've. Mm-hmm. You know, it's been a little dicey reaching out to teachers because we're still in that in-between yeah. phase. But hopefully mm-hmm. starting Monday, what do you think is going to happen, Shebra? Or, I know MCPS sent, sent out some text messages, but I know that they're looking to make sure that students are getting returned or returning back to that curriculum, that, uh, that instruction and figuring out right. how, what they're going to do with how grading or testing is going to work. What's, um, what's going on with that? So I'll say this first, that during this two weeks that we have been off, our students have been able to go to various um, sites to get food. They've been able to get breakfast, breakfast, lunch and dinner, as well as a snack. Um, And then there are um, mobile um, uh, sites that were put in place as well. So while we have been closed, we still been trying to make certain that um, our students are being able to access a nutritious meal. 
And then also when we learned of the extended closure that students could also get access to technology if they did not have that at home, as well as internet access. So we were able to distribute over 43,000 Chromebooks. Um, we just began on March the 26th, March 26th and March 27th from all of our high schools on March 26th. And then on March 26th in the afternoon, you could pick up devices from elementary schools as well as all day on Friday from elementary schools as well. So what people can expect tomorrow, so fast forward, Tomorrow, parents, along with their um, children, can be able to go online and um, go through my MCPS to see the online um, resources that will be available to students, kind of get familiar with um, the online resources. And our teachers and staff will be going through professional development on Monday and Tuesday because with our online um, learning, teachers will now begin um, using my MCPS classroom, as well as Google Classroom. And some people are pretty much up to speed. So like I said, this is not a new, this is not new for us, but for some teachers, elementary in particular, they will be getting familiar with some of our um, online resources. So they'll be spending the first, first three days doing some professional development and teach, and, and students will be able to connect with their teachers on Wednesday. On Wednesday, you teach, students will be hearing from their teachers either online or through phone calls to tell them what they could be expecting. And then on Thursday, they will, um, like you said, I have, a, a, I have an eighth grader and 11th grader, and they will hear from their teachers on Thursday just about what to expect, expectations for all of our students with this online process, and then um, the resources that we made available to them. And then on Friday, I believe they, they will begin a little bit of instruction. So from now until April 17th, we will be closing out the third marking period for our students and helping them with that. Well, that's, so it's a lot, it's a lot going on. That's good. And it seems like now that we'll, we'll have some structure and I am, yes. I know that you know, our kids are going to be okay, but I do have concerns. There's parents that are still have to go to work and how, yes. how they oversee that learning experience digitally, virtually mm-hmm. with their kids at home. What, um, let me ask you, did we have a reserve of Chromebooks or did we already have those available for students? We already had Chromebooks available for okay. students at their school. So each student was able or should have been able to have access to a Chromebook while they were at school. I know that um, for certain, there were three of our middle schools that were um, doing a, um, they had a grant through Verizon. And so Argyle, I believe it was Argyle Middle School, Forest Oak Middle School, and White Oak Middle School. My daughter goes to Argyle Middle School. Every student in those three middle schools, they had Chromebooks where they could take them home, right? Because of a um, Verizon online learning challenge they had at those schools. So a good bit of our students had access to Chromebooks through programs going on in their schools. But we wanted to make certain that while they had access to Chromebooks at school, since our schools were closed, that we would be able to have students use those while they were at home. Yeah, that's good news. Um, we gotta, Kids got to keep learning. And yeah. I know that I, I say this because it's important. So and I, I know you probably are stressed, and I know that the school system is figuring this out. I don't mm. think that uh, it would be unreasonable to ask for some a little bit of grace and understanding as we yes. keep. As a grad school student, I, I got a nice note the other day from our dean of our business school, and he said, 
the same thing. Please just give us a, a little bit yeah. of time. So we're we're working through this. We're going to make sure that your continuity of learning continues. That you have mm-hmm. all the resources that you need, and it's 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 That's been right. really helpful. Our teacher. Our, our professor, of course, is available through text message and through email, and we're we're all connected. And yeah. uh, we've been using a lot of the Zoom meetings and Skype conversations yes. to have offline conversations separate from uh, the, the classroom instruction with with classmates. So I think we're going to get through this. I think we'll plow through this, and we are. And I know that in the future, if hopefully nothing like this again happens, but. I don't think that it's fair to say that MCPS was prepared or unprepared. I just think that we're dealing with this in real time. We are. Um, So, you know, you can never have um, imagined something like this Mm -hmm. happening. And um, were we prepared to have every student at home do online learning? Um, No, but (laughs) we have been working really hard the past couple of weeks since we learned of the first, first closure um, they were already setting their wheels in motion to come up with a plan for distance learning. And I did want to say you had mentioned that there will be parents at home teleworking and trying to figure out what that would look like. And so I just want parents to know that we don't expect it to be a full day of school for our students with this distance learning, that for our elementary school students, it will be somewhere in the neighborhood of maybe like an hour and a half, two hours worth of, of work where they will do some. And that will that will include um, independent working as well as time with their teach interacting with their teacher and then using the online tools as well. And then for our, our third through fifth graders, we expect anywhere from two and a half to three hours worth of work every day, just because we know that, you know, there are um, like as in my household, there are students in um, various grade levels and in various areas of our school system. And so we do know that it would be very difficult for our to expect that our parents would, in addition to our teachers, to be in front of a computer working with our students for six straight hours every day. So um, I didn't want people to think that expectation is that everybody would be online for six hours straight. Now, it's a complicated time, but I know that uh, there's there's plenty of resources out there. And, yes. And I know that we we can contact our teachers, we can contact our school principals mm-hmm. and uh, the assistant principals. I think everybody's kind of here for one another during this yes. time. And um, had they figured out the grading system, maybe what they were going to do? I know the governor was talking about uh, the final quarter would be kind of like a pass-fail, but nothing has been pushed yet from the State Board of Education or from the state superintendent. Right. So online yesterday, we had our chief academic officer, Dr. Maria Navarro. We had our um, area associate superintendent, Nikki Hazel, from the Office of Curriculum and Instruction on um, Zoom with Derek Turner. He's over our communications. And we had Pete Cevanini, who's over his technology. And so in the area of grades, they touched on that from now until April 17th, students would be able to finish out the third marking period because that was a concern for students, like with their grades kind of being in limbo. We hadn't ended the third marking period yet. Would they be able to do that? So those grades that they will work, they will be doing from now to April 17th will be graded as part of the third marking period. But they had not discussed what it would look like um, for our students in terms of grades for the fourth period. But the good news is that, you know, we are 75% through our school year, right? So we're in a good position and we're going to make certain that our students are um, able to be successful 
throughout, you know, towards the end of the year, regardless if we're in the school building or if we're um, doing online instruction. Have you heard anything so we're about, keeping it, go ahead. As I was gonna say, have you heard anything about graduation, what that might look like? I have not, I have not, just because it's so, um, because we've just been given the um, date of April 24th. No. We're looking, you know, we're watching the news just like you are to see um, what's going on. And we know that our superintendent, Dr. Jack Smith, is in constant contact with our state superintendent, as well as the other superintendents. They they are meeting on calls regularly. So I know that we will be kept up to date on what to expect for graduation. I mean, for graduations. But at this time, I can't say for certain, but I know that it will be a so far. It's been a different experience for our seniors with us not being in school. Yeah, it's tough. I feel terrible for some of the uh, high school graduating seniors and, and the college graduating seniors. College, that's right. Yeah, yeah, I mean, we have a friend who is a senior at the University of Maryland, and she's soon to be commissioned to as an Air Force officer. And there's just so much uncertainty, and they already wow. moved her out of the dorm. It's mm. it's a it's a tough time for, for lots of people. But it is, I, it is. I'm confident, like, you know, our, 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 the president of our university – and I talked the other day, and he said, we're going to make sure we have some form of graduation. And he doesn't know what that looks like yet, but he's going yeah. to make sure that he recognizes all the accomplishments of the graduating seniors. So we're, right. I think it's just a wait and see how this goes down and what happens with yes. COVID-19, whether yes. we they increase the measures. And unfortunately, it doesn't look like it's slowing down at any... I know. I, I keep seeing that it's dramatically increasing, but... Safe social distancing. And how are you yes. guys holding your meetings? Are you uh, you doing Zoom sessions? So our we had a brief meeting on, um, I don't know why I can't even think. It was just, you know what, every day is like running into each other. Oh, I know. It's like somebody posted on Twitter, every day seems like a run on Monday. <laughs> um, but we just had it on um, March the 23rd. Mm-hmm. And we had a phone conference business meeting. That was our first meeting since the COVID-19 situation. And that may be the way that we're going to go because we can't, you know, you can't gather more than 10 people cannot gather. And if you um, and if there are 10 people, you got to be able to have that social distancing, that space. And so with the way it's set up in our um, in our auditorium, I mean, not in our auditorium, but in our business meeting room, it's just very difficult. And we just want to make certain that people remain safe. And the best way you could do that is to stay home. So what we will be doing is holding our meetings um, via phone conferencing. And we'll try the, we'll, I think we may try the, the web where you can see us. Yeah. But so far, how it's been is we're on the call. And as a person is speaking, you can see our name and our face. So MCPS TV has been really great at working with us and making certain that the when we're having our meetings online that the community can see who we are as we're speaking and um, conducting business in a different way. But so far, it's just been um, we haven't done Zoom, but we've done phone. Well, that's like good. Phone conferencing. Yeah, that's good. So business has not stopped. It's, it's still continuing on, but not at the speed that it was prior well, to this. This will be a, a for nice. For board members, I should say. Well, it'll be a, a, a textbook case study of uh, how, yeah. what happens in the future, and if if this, you know, God forbid, if it does happen again, then I oh. think we'll be more prepared and ready to go. There'll be a contingency plan in place. But really, how could we have yeah. predicted if you would have told me at the beginning of the year 
that this this thing would have happened, I would have thought, oh, come on, you know. Yeah, I, you know. I know. I don't think I would have believed you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I, I will say MCPS senior leadership has been working in, in food, food and nutrition and um, supporting staff. They have been working around the clock. I sure, working sure. really hard. Yes, yes. So. Especially I give a lot of credit to MCPS for making meals available for students. Because yes. we know that some students who go to school, that's the only meal that they're going to get. That's nutritious that's right. for for the day, and um, yep. there's a lot of parents out there that might not be able to to, to afford that 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 meal, um, and and sadly we have to face those realities. But good on MCPS for yes. making that available. So, Chevra, mm-hmm. you as a your your current board of education president, you're running for re-election. Yep. Um, most p- people will have an idea of uh, who you are, but uh, if if not, and this is the first time you're tuning in, sure. tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, what uh, you have you've done so f- uh, so far. I guess in your career leading up to being on the board of education mm-hmm. and ha- how you got interested in the uh, MCPS system. Sure. Um, start off by saying, and I mentioned it in an earlier conversation, but a mother of two. Um, Sierra's in middle school at Argyle Middle School in eighth grade, and Sydney is a junior at John F. Kennedy High School. So when I started out, I only had one daughter, and that's really um, how I got my start. Uh, Sydney was attending Harmony Hills Elementary School, got involved in PTA at the local level, became the PTA president, became the Wheaton Cluster coordinator, and was really began to beginning to understand that PTA was not about bake sales and selling wrapping paper, that it was about advocacy and making certain that um, we had a fully funded operating budget, that we had a fully funded capital improvement program and got to know community leaders, got to know um, people in MCPS, got to know our local elected officials and at the state level as well. And really did a lot of work at um, Montgomery County Council PTAs, better known as MCC PTA, was in ex- um, leadership at that level as well. And then started to say to myself, you know what, I'm making a lot of my recommendations to the school system. I can do this. And we really had come down to the disparities that I saw in education. And I wanted to make certain that there was a, persp- a perspective on the board that um, I didn't believe was there. You know, I live, um, my kids went to a Title I school where 87% at that time, back in about 2008, were on free and reduced price meals. And that same percentage of students were English learners. And, you know, people made the assumption that if you weren't physically at the school, active in PTA, if you weren't going to the local meetings that you didn't care. But what I could see and what I could say for certainty is that, you know, people were trying to make ends meet. You know, people, families had more than um, one job. And so that spurred me to run for office, to be able to make certain that in all that we do, that we thought about equity and that excellence was embedded in that as well. And so you have me here um, running for school board in 2014, losing, but I don't know if I use that word, losing, um, came close, um, very disappointed, but not discouraged. And I just remained involved. I did what I was going to, what I knew I would always do. And then I threw my hat back in the ring in 2016. Um, my background is in finance. I graduated from Tennessee State University. And so did I think I would ever end up as um, elected official 
in education. I didn't. But, you know, we all there's that one thing that spurs us into action. And then um, once it takes hold of you, you can you can do just about anything. And so garnered a lot of support from um, families, uh, NPTA, Girl Scouts. And here I am. So I hope that um, people will learn from me that you can do whatever you put your mind to. That there's a sense of normalcy, you know, for our girls. My hope is that, you know, there were probably times when you were younger or growing up or you hear people say that when you ask people to run for office, you have to, you have to ask them a couple of times and then they kind of think about it. But hopefully they're they're able to see the work that I'm doing and they will say to themselves that, you know, this is something I want to do or not something I want to do, but they don't decided they, that they can't do it. They've watched me do it, their mom, and hopefully I've made them see how um, when you believe in something and you and you um, persevere and work hard that you can get it, right? wow. whatever it is. Yeah, so right that's, that's that's me in a nutshell. And I have a husband, I should say that. I'm married, <laughs> been married for um, 20 years this past October, and we've been in Montgomery County since 2001. Yeah. Well, it's it's a it's a neat community, and there's there's plenty of opportunities. And the hope is is that MCPS students will come back after they go to yeah. the college or after they graduate high school that they find a trade that they can stay within the community. And uh, that's uh, I think you know for my hometown of Hagerstown, that's kind of where uh, that's what we always hope for. But uh, I'm. You know, as my mom yeah. says, my mom says, well, you're close enough. So <laughs> living in <laughs> living in Gaithersburg. And I know you're in you're running for reelection in District four, not at large, but rather District four. That's um, right. So, Shepard, just reflecting on some of the the, the last four years, uh, last three right. and a half years or so, um, you you ran on several issues. Were you able to accomplish some of your goals and was there anything that you didn't get accomplished yet that you think you might be able to 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 accomplish that in a second term so you know we have um i said you know we when you first start off there's like a lot of things that you want to be able to do um expand access to our early learners by um, having at the time i was thinking universal pre-k right um, thinking about um, expansion of community partnerships, and we do. We have a lot more people that are engaged in our education system. Um, we have people that are contributing and made aware of the needs of our of our children. That um, people are learning that we have a about fifty five fifty five thousand of our students are on free and reduced price meals, and um, that some have food insecurity. So we have people such as Dark Cars that has made contributions to make certain that um, our kids don't feel like they have to be shamed, that they don't have enough lunch money when they go to school. Um, we've had people like, um, I believe, Carol Trawick that's been able to support after-school activities. So I do see where there are more opportunities to do some of the work, which is to make certain that you know we have a really diverse student body we have students from over 150 countries speaking over 157 languages. And we I want to make certain that we have a diverse workforce. And so our human resources department is doing some really great things and trying to be um, creative and innovative in how they are reaching 
um, teacher candidates or staff that wants to come here to the NCPS. They are flying to Puerto Rico. They're going to um, different uh, colleges that we weren't going to before. They're going to like Facebook has a platform that you can go out to now and search on um, people that are interested in being teachers. Uh, MCPS is creating opportunities where they're going out and they're hosting like informal conversations and they're bringing in um, students that are, you know, in the teaching and they're having conversations with people who are actually in the teaching um, field to see what that's like, to have a conversation to see if they want to further on their career and come here. Um, Recently, myself and Dr. Monifa McKnight, we went to Busboys and Poets, Mm -hmm. talked to teacher candidates. We had a really informal formal conversation. We hadn't done that before. People came from New York, Mm, from all across Maryland, Virginia. And we just really had some informal conversations about what do I love about MCPS? Shebra Evans is a board president. Um, Dr. McKnight talked about um, her MCPS experience and and why this is the place to be, our commitment to equity and excellence. And it was just really great dialogue. We thought that there were going to be about 25 people to show up and it ended up being more than 50 Mm. um, candidates that came. And I went um, I had to fly to Florida for a weekend in the airport and I was in the airport and a lady stopped me because just two days ago she'd come to the informal um, mingle and conversation with MCPS on um, how we're trying to attract and recruit highly qualified people. So um, working to ensure that, you know, we got additional funds with current commission so that we could do um, expansion of pre-K. We know that if our kids have access to early learning, that, that it helps to level the playing field. So there are, like, as you can as you can hear, there are a lot of things that I want to still be able to do. And I believe that under our current leadership of uh, Dr. Jack Smith, that we're getting closer to being able to um, do all those things. We're doing them um, each year. We're expanding and doing those things each year. Well, you mentioned Dr. Smith, and I've asked other candidates uh, about his performance. You've had an opportunity to see and work with him up close mm-hmm. and Absolutely. personal, and you get a sense of his leadership style. How how do you think he's doing? And uh, do you think that um, is there is there improvements to be made with him? And what has he been doing well? Yeah, so <clears throat> I'm pleased with him. Of course, you know that we renewed his contract for another four years. And what I like about Dr. Smith is he is always courageous to say the things that people don't typically want to say in public, to say, you know, you don't have to be sick to get better. And for quite some time, we have not been doing well for all of our students. We've served some really well, but there are some students that we've left behind. And so all means all. And that um, his goals, along with the school board, um, is to make certain that Every student in our school system receives a a quality education. We've increased um, access to kids you don't typically see in advanced placement in AP and IB coursework. Um, We've been able to provide free SAT, ACT exams to our students. We, of course, I mentioned being able to expand pre-K. So under his leadership, we've really been able to take a deep dive and look at our kids ask ourselves the questions, are our kids learning? If not, why not? And um, what are we going to do about it? And so I appreciate um, 
how he's led the school system. And is he perfect? No, none of us are. But um, he is not afraid to say where we might have made some missteps and then what it will look like to um, take corrective action. Yeah, um, I know that you guys recently gave him a salary increase. And uh, I, I, I want to ask you, uh, there has been concerns among some parents that mm-hmm. and moving up to, to uh, Up County in Damascus High School, um, mm-hmm. they were concerned about how MCPS handled that incident in particular. They've, I've heard from others that it was, it was, there was some lack of transparency or there was some miscommunication. And as you can imagine, that was a community who was deeply impacted by this in- incredibly serious situation. What, what is your thoughts on what happened there? Um, so I'll first say that uh, I agree with you that that was um, a really diff- that was a really difficult situation, and we were um, very much in support of the Damascus community of, of, the, of the Damascus community, and I know I personally felt their pain and wish that um, we could have done more to provide comfort to them to let them know that we were trying to work in their best interests. You know, when we were out there having a cluster meeting that was already planned ahead of time, you know, the one thing I said is that people can't always see your hearts. They can always see like the work that you're doing where you're using your head, but they didn't know that um, our hearts were there with them. And we were, there's always a way you can do things. And that in at that time, you know, hindsight is, 2020, you know, you, you felt like we felt like we did the right thing in terms of letting the um, police mm-hmm. um, department do their work and then us coming behind. But um, when you you know better, you do better. And so it was a learning experience for all of us in terms of what we could have done differently, quicker, sooner in terms of coming out to the community, talking to them and making them feel like um, their, their voices were heard a lot sooner. Shepard, there's been an increased interest in this school board race, so much so I think that people, you see a lot of candidates who are running for an at-large seat, I think 13 in total. Yes. And I know that I believe all the districts that are up now are currently being challenged by uh, one or two uh, competitors to the incumbent. And I think part of that reason is because of the the boundary analysis study that we've heard mm-hmm. so much about and that's being reported by uh, especially Bethesda Beaton. I always want to give a shout out to Caitlin Peets, who's been incredible. Yes. Hardworking. Yes. Very much so. An incredible beat reporter for uh, the, our public school system has kept you informed, kept me informed. I mean, I, I read her stuff constantly. And without her and without Bethesda Beat, I, I, I wouldn't have known half of what's going on because unfortunately I can't always make the board of education meetings and I try to watch the YouTube clips, but it's, uh, it's, we, we're all busy, but Caitlin's reporting has just really impacted, uh, how the information is shared. So I want to better understand, let's break down the, the boundary analysis. Uh, I I know it came out and it was some ungodly amount of pages, <laughs> and I, I don't know if you maybe you've gotten through it. I know I haven't, but uh, it's it's certainly something that I have been steadily reviewing. Um, and I yep. did read all of the Kerwin pages. I think all two four two hundred and forty three. So right. that was fun. Um, but why, why is this? You know, Shepard, why is this issue 
so contentious, altering contiguous boundaries, the concept of neighborhoods, schools. What's going on? Yeah. So I'll just say uh, from the board's perspective, it's pretty simple. Uh, We have um, schools that are um, overutilized. We have a growing school system. We have 166,000 students. And since 2009, we have grown by more than 30,000 students, right? And so, of course, that um, makes us want to look at how we're utilizing all of our schools um, and taking all of our um, factors into consideration, school capacity, student demographics, and um, students' stabil- uh, the stability of student assignments to our schools. So really what the board is doing is taking a comprehensive look at our entire district. So as we make decisions around um, school boundaries, cluster boundaries, like we just have, we're informed. Um, we've not done a countywide boundary analysis ever. But I can say that since the like late 70s, early 80s, we've done over 130 boundaries. And so I feel like personally that is our fiduciary responsibility as board members to do this work. And what we should expect is that um, our school facility should be able to um, host and provide educational programmings for our students. And, um, you know, that's that's our mission to be able to make certain that our students have access to rigorous opportunities. But what we can see is that over a period of time, you know, the, the land use has changed, our um, demographics and our county has changed, and that not every experience for every student in all of our buildings is the same. And that's because um, they're overutilized. So I feel like this is a good time for us to take a comprehensive look. And um, we should consider looking at boundaries um, more often than what we have been, just to make certain that um, we're getting um, good use of our school facilities. And based on the... Based on the results of those of the mm-hmm. study, there are concerns that students would be shifted out of their what what's called the neighborhood schools and bus. Mm-hmm. And you've heard a lot about this the the busing right. the busing issue. What's yeah. your take on that? So our intent is not to. We want to. So I'll say this: we want to be able to maintain our walkers. That is of high priority to us. And so people think that we're going to take kids from the um, from Tacoma and have them go to Damascus or Poolsville. And that is not the intention. That's not the intention at all. And some people think that we already have a plan um, from WXY. And we already know what we're going to do. And we do not. Yeah, I've heard this, that. No, we don't. And we have, we had this, um, this uh, mid, way report, it's interim report, and we will get the final um, report in June of 2020. And we will make certain that when we get that back, that we're able to digest that and then come back and have a conversation with our community. We're trying to make certain that at every step of the way, we're including the community and we're having a community conversation. We've had so many community meetings. I know we've had over um, 24 really trying to engage the community. And I I feel like in terms of our engagement, we've done it different than what we've done in the past. And, you know, we we can learn from what we've done this time, how we'll do it differently. But um, 
for the most part, we try to make certain that we've included our community voices along the way. And I think this is um, something that we should do, but we're definitely, um, it's just a report. They're not giving us recommendations and nobody can um, determine the boundaries, but the Board of Education. So it's just it's just something that will help guide us for the future. Well, redistricting brings out sometimes the best and sometimes the unsettling. Does, of, and, I know. And you've probably, well, you've witnessed it firsthand. And it's hard sometimes to keep up with what is happening, but there is so much information out there and there's lots of opinions being shared. And it's it's sometimes hard to to navigate through that in a mm-hmm. way that you just want the facts. And that's why I have to go back to Bethesda Beats reporting, Caitlin Pizza's reporting, because she just breaks it down so yep. easy to understand. Absolutely, absolutely. But how you, you know, how you modulate that and how you understand that information. And I'm, I'm glad that you did clarify, because I've heard often that the Board of Education already has a plan, basically, in effect. We they don't. know what they're going to do. And I imagine that some of the board members are still reading through the the report. Yeah, we are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We are. We are. Um, emotions have run really high, and I've gotten some really, really um, bad emails. Mm. You know, talking about I'm a nasty person, and you know that this isn't right. And we know emotions are running high. And I just say, you know, words matter. I just really want people, regardless of what side of the fence you're on with this work that we're doing, to just be mindful um, and be respectful. Do you respond? Hmm? Do you respond to some of those emails? Well, you know, um, some of them are just wanting to inform me how they feel about me. So it's not warranting a response. You know, there are times when I do respond, but um, there was one that I received since we have been um, well, um, closed these past two weeks. And it was so bad. I did not. I just didn't know what the person wanted me to say. And I felt like their mind was made up. You know, Ryan tried to be very um, transparent. And, um, you know, what you see is what you get with me. And if you call me up to have coffee and have a conversation, I will absolutely meet with you, talk with you, sit down with you, regardless of what side um, of this year on. And so it was just, it was, it kind of caught me off guard a little bit, but I know that, um, this is important work and I I don't, I don't know if people realize or remember that I have two kids in the, in the public school system too. So as we're going through, as, as parents are going through the different changes that we're making, I'm going through them too. So I try to use my lens as a, not only as a board member, but as a parent who has two kids in the school system, whose kids have friends and I, and I think of all the kids in the entire school system as my kids, but I just want to, I want people to know that, you know, me being a parent guides my work as well. And so I would think that that would, that that should resonate with people. I don't know that it always does, but I just want to remind people that we're not going to do anything that would um, jeopardize uh, the future for our students. Cause this, this will be here long after I'm off the board. So yeah. I just wanted to say that. There's been some candidates who've talked about bringing financial responsibility or rather more responsibility to Montgomery County public schools. But as you know, that most of our, most of the spending is for the teacher salaries um, and right. in the budgets, there's not much wiggle room. I've, I've seen right. them. And as a finance person, you know, as I, if you understand these budgets and many people 
don't, and I encourage you, right. <laughs> I'm happy to, to sit down and, and explain how they work. But uh, where do you think that you've been successful in, in ensuring that the taxpayers are get their, getting their money's worth? And is there anything that can be added into the budget? Mm. <clears throat> so we always feel like the budget that we put forward um, is focused on our students, our schools, and um, the classrooms. And so that includes our staff as well, the people as well. And like you said, uh, a good bit of our budget is towards the people. Um, we're always making certain that we are um, taking into consideration. I, I told you about the growth that we've experienced. So here lately, we've tried to be cognizant of taxpayers where we, we are um, trying to ensure that the additional students that we've gotten in this school year, that enroll, that student, the increase in student enrollment is where we're putting the money towards those students that we've gotten um, in as new student enrollment, and then um, how you fund those additional students. So, I think as I think as the board and and the superintendent and his staff that we've tried to really be mindful of. Um, not wasting, not duplicating, that if there are duplicated programs that we're taking a look at what's working well, and um, if it's not, then we don't need to continue on with that work. So we're really trying to be mindful of taxpayers' money. When I, um, back on February, the uh, back when we um, adopted our budget in February, uh, we, had, we held a, pe- a press conference and we talked about you know, our budget for this year and the additional increase it was and that the additional increase was basically the additional students. You know, we this year we um, we increased enrollment by about twenty five hundred students and we thought that it was going to be um, about eleven hundred. And around August, September, we got an additional thousand students. Right. So. We're just trying to make certain that as every child comes into our school system, that we're able to edu- educate them. Uh, Shepard, do you think that there would be an opportunity in the future to conduct a an independent third party audit of our of our school budget? There could be. Yeah, there could be. Is that something you might support? I I, I could I could um. I hope so. Are you saying that it, because you don't believe that we're spending money, like we're using it to the best of our ability? No, be I, I'm saying that? that if if there are holes, if there are gaps, you know, there's mm-hmm. many companies who who hire outside independent contractors to do mm-hmm. an audit of their financials. Would that be something that you would support? I'm not making any assumptions think, about the no, the, the no, budget, no, 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 no. but yeah, yeah. So I was um, I was going to say, I, so what I was going to say to you, we had um, a gentleman in our office, Dan Morella. He was our um, director of um, finance and audit. And so he actually is the interim chief financial officer. So we had someone in our office that, you know, worked for the board and, you know, just to help us uh, maneuver because we do not have staff. But um, if for some reason... It came up to want to do an audit. I mean, I don't, I don't have it. I don't believe we have anything to hide. So, sure. Okay. Um, let me ask you about some of the Kerwin Commission recommendations. Obviously, a topic sure. that took precedence during the the session this mm-hmm. past year, and session ended early. They passed the blueprint for education, otherwise known as the Kerwin Commission recommendations, yes. and there's some there's some 
some big ticket items that would fundamentally overhaul our school systems. And for instance, teacher pay, I think they want to start out teachers at $60,000 a year. Mm -hmm. And of course, they're looking at universal pre-kindergarten at at age three. And so there there's many recommendations there's uh, a lot of information to unpack what are your thoughts on the recommendations and how can we figure out a way maybe to pay for them i know that you're not a state delegate and that's not your responsibility but that is on the minds of the taxpayers in montgomery county sure so i will say this my colleagues and i supported the blueprint for maryland um i along with uh dr smith And our council president, along with our county executive, we went to Annapolis on several occasions to give testimony. And um, I will say this. The one thing that, you know, when I listened to other districts give their testimony and I did hear from other um, districts their concern for the amount of money. One thing that I was glad at, uh, the one thing that I was um, pleased at is that Montgomery County Although there were recommendations in the current commission, in the current commission, the blueprint for Maryland, we were already doing the work. So we were already working on expanding um, pre-K. We opened up two pre-K sites in uh, Montgomery County, one in the Silver Spring area and then one in the Gaithersburg area. Our county council had been given us funding every year, additional funding towards pre-K. I believe um, back, I think I can go back to when Hans Reamer was the council president. Mm-hmm. We um, were given about $2 million or so every year, as well as MCPS put aside money for pre-K. So we were already focusing on um, expanding pre-K. Uh, this year, I believe we increased our numbers to full day pre-K for about a thousand students to about a thousand students. Um, And um, there were some other areas that we were already working on that. And I know that one of our big pushes when we would go to give testimony, at least what I would say is that we wanted um, the commission to consider giving um, money to all of our um, staff, even our supporting staff, that there were people who were doing important work, such as our administrators, our bus drivers, that we didn't want the focus to only be on teachers, that we wanted the um, funding to go towards um, our other staff in our school buildings because they helped to make our school system what it is. So it wasn't just one group of people that we should be focusing on. Um, But I could definitely say that in the area of career technology Hmm. education that we're doing that, you see that we have Seneca Valley opening up where we're expanding um, career um, education for our students. So there's a lot of the a lot of um, things that was going on in the blueprint that, that they were recommending. It's work that MCPS was already that we're already doing. We've trying to figure out a way to slowly begin to do that work ourselves. So that once it was mandated that we would already have been in motion. Chevra, I've heard some concerns with among teachers uh, that there's a morale issue inside of some of the schools that they just don't feel appreciated or that they're not, their needs are not being met. And, you know, it's not easy being a teacher. I, 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 there's so much credit that is due to our education staff and 
any all over the country. But mm -hmm. uh, how does how does the Board of Education and your colleagues address that? So we always consider um, our teachers in all that we do. Right. So I'm very supportive of teachers. And I think if nothing more, parents have been able to see these last two weeks how um, how effective our teachers are and how some of them could not actually do the job. So the board members are always um, considering our teachers or in contact with our unions and with the leadership and trying to hear their voices. We meet with um, MCA on an annual basis twice a year in the fall and in the spring where we're able to sit and hear from teachers. Um, our teachers have invited us to go to schools, to kind of tour, to see um, everything through their eyes. So we are in constant contact with them and um, we do hear them. We hear them and we're trying to work to make it better on all ends for everybody. Yeah. And since you're since you've gotten on the board, we've seen a number of news reports about MCPS employees. They've been arrested for convicted of sexual assault, sexual misconduct. And this is this is a an issue that is one of the most serious pressing problems I see for MCPS. How do you address this imperative issue as a board of education member? And how do we foster greater transparency in our system? Mm. Well, I feel like we have since I've been on the board, what I can say for certain is that um, we've put a lot of measures in place so that um, if you so every employee is required to take um, the child abuse and neglect training every year. And I don't know prior to me being on the board if that was something that was mandatory for everyone to do. Every person um, that comes into the building to volunteer has to take training as well. That wasn't something that was mandatory, especially if you're um, if you weren't a teacher. If you're a volunteer, it used to be that if if a teacher if you sign up to volunteer and chaperone your child your child's field trip, you could do that. But now you cannot do that unless you have had our training on child abuse and neglect. Um, we have definitely made certain to spread the word. If you see something, say something, right? We've tried to um, incorporate in language for our elementary age students um, what they can understand so that they can know something is not right, that they can report it. We have our um, secure vegetables that we've put in our building so not anyone can just walk into our school building. We have a, a visitor management system where you have to scan and we're also... Um, having people fingerprinted and there's a database that we can have access to, to know if you have um, committed a crime. So I believe that the me measure measurements have been stepped up and we're trying to make certain that, um, you know, that people know that's not, it's not tolerated in our uh, school system. But I think it's fair to say still that there are some parents who feel still un insecure about, sending kids to school given the number of instances that have occurred and there probably are i just want so the parents are listening i want them to know that we are doing our due diligence to make certain that um that that doesn't happen and if we know about it that is, is zero tolerance yeah. for that yeah Shepard, there's been discussions about increasing the stipend for board of education members like yourself and i i can imagine it's it's a full-time job, and I know you work elsewhere. You have two kids. It's it's tough. Um, 
how do you, what are your thoughts on that? And what have you heard from the different, from community members on that? You know what they, um, so the county executive had a work group put together and then they forwarded out a survey for community members to fill out, to give their feedback before it went to our state legislators. And I will say that I am very much in support of increasing the compensation for board members. We just, we want to be able to, you know, just like the school system wants to be able to attract highly qualified teachers and staff, we want to be able to recruit highly qualified people to be able to do this work, but also to allow um, whoever wants to do this work to be able to at least make a livable wage. Mm-hmm. Like right now, you would you would not be able to be self-sufficient and work on the school board. The salary is $25,000. So the perspective that we probably would like to get and um, need to have, we wouldn't based on the, the compensation that you're receiving unless, you know, your spouse can um, cover those expenses. And right now it's just really, it's really difficult. So I, I want us to be able to attract um, a broad range of people. And I think it makes a difference when it's not a livable wage. And, and, and so I don't know that people can afford to quit their jobs to do this part-time job on a full-time basis. Is there a, is there a number in mind? Is there a number in mind? Yeah. So I supported the, I support the number that the, the county executives um, committee came up with. They came up with 30, no, I'm sorry, they came up with 60,000. But um, the by the time I think it got to our state legislators, they had it down to 35. Okay. But because, like you said, session ended early. I don't know that was one of the bills that got through. I, don't, so, I think some of the local bills are postponed. And if they do, reconvene, yeah. if they reconvene, I'm assuming that they're going to try to address as many of those bills as possible. Mm-hmm. I've also heard, Shepard, about the student member of the board being given mm-hmm. authority to vote on, let's say, budgetary matters or they yes. being allowed to chair a committee. What are your thoughts on those issues? So this, this is all I know. Since I've been on the board, students um, have full voting rights and, you know, they really do bring a unique perspective. I respect all of our students that have been on the board. They make time to do their board work in addition to their school work. Um, and that they also have their special interests that they do off to the side and they're able to do all that while being a student. So the students do have my respect and support. And so this is all I know. I, I, I'm, a, I'm OK with it. Mm hmm. Okay. I'm okay with it. You've you've heard about Ever Farms as a priority in redistricting decisions. Can you break down that concept? And we're talking about the free and reduced meals numbers. Sure. So Ever Farms are the are the students that have at some point received free and reduced price meals. And so the what what you can assume is that if a student has been a free and reduced price meal student that that will typically follow them from middle to high school. A lot of what happens is our students don't turn in the paperwork. And so we're not able to get those true numbers. And um, as they do get older, it's the, the resources don't follow them the same way. Like, uh, so for example, we have a linkages to learning um, 
site at some of our elementary schools, and that's wraparound services that our students on free and reduced price meals receive, um, where they have access to a, a um, health-based center, a social worker, um, a, a school psychologist, and um, whatever services that their families might need, they get those services. But some of our high schools now have languages learning, but not um, a lot of our middle schools. So we do know that as our kids leave our school and go from one level to the next, that um, the need is still there. And that if and how we're able to track our EverFarm students is because they have been on free and reduced price meals. So people think that we're over-exaggerating, but we do know that some of our families are um, a bit insecure about turning in the paperwork because they do feel like it could be used for something else. And it won't. It's strictly for purposes of the school, being able to see how we can best provide support to those families. Hmm. Let me ask you about the last couple of years, just to reflect on your mm-hmm. time. And we talked a little bit about what you are proud of in the last couple of years, but and what you want to continue to accomplish. But if you were be, to sum it up, um, what um, what are what are a couple of things that you were you definitively set your mind to do prior to getting elected, and you've been able to accomplish that since becoming a board of education member. Mm-hmm. Sure, um, how we are, um, how, how we've expanded community engagement. Like that's really important. It's really important to be able to get the feedback of our community, and to do that in um, different ways to figure out how to reach the hard to reach. Families And I do know that um, NCPS has made a concerted effort uh, in cases to knock on doors, um, to host community meetings in um, places that we typically wouldn't host them, and to really go out and outreach to um, the various community leaders in the community that maybe we hadn't had um, contact with in previous years. You know, we have our um, Asian community achievement group and we didn't have that prior to me being on the board we had the latino um uh, so we had the african-american student achievement action group and then we have our latino student achievement action group and so we've kind of expanded those um community groups so that we can make certain that we have a diverse perspective in terms of getting that feedback right um just how we've expanded um early learning to our uh, most vulnerable students having access to affordable pre-K, which is free, right, for our families, and then be able to provide support to our um, to the students that are in pre-K, to their families as well. And then how we're trying to make certain that we are uh, diversifying our workforce. Oh. Well, we've covered a lot today, and I appreciate you giving us an update on what's happening with the COVID-19 and how the school system has been responding. I know that's the tip of every parent's minds. That's an sure. I, that's a topic that we're all asking questions to see how the remainder of learning will, the remainder of the, the semester is going to happen and how schools will, will handle that. But Shepard, do you have any upcoming virtual forums that you're participating in? So no upcoming virtual forums. All the forums have been canceled. Mm-hmm. And um, there was even a virtual forum that was canceled as well. I think everybody was just trying to regroup and um, focus on their families and figure out what the next steps were going to be with COVID-19. And then I know as um, 
we kind of develop a routine that we'll be coming back around to the forums. But so far, no virtual forums have been scheduled. All the forums were canceled. Um, I had meet and greets uh, scheduled and they were canceled as well because, you know, you didn't want more than 10 people to gather. And then you just wanted to the whole social distancing. Just we just wanted to make certain people um, stayed safe and stayed healthy. Yeah. So so right now, I think people's focus had been on getting their family situated. Well, I know that that's the priority is making sure that people are healthy and that yes. if, uh, when the opportunity does present itself to return mm-hmm. to some sense of normality, mm-hmm. we will be will be okay, and our I know our students will be okay. Shepard, what is your website for all who are listening? Sure. My website is ShebraEvans.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Shebra Evans. I have a Facebook page, Shebra for B-O-E. That's Shebra, S-H-E. B is in Barbara, R-A, the number four, B-O-E. And um, you can always now tune in uh, virtually to board meetings to hear me and my perspective. But um, look out for me on the campaign trail. <laughs> yeah. And the campaign trail, of course, has been extended until... A virtual, yes, yes. Yes, yes. until June the 2nd, which is when Maryland has slated its primary election. It was on April the 28th, and early voting was set to begin on the 16th of April, though it's not going to happen. I'm not sure what's going to happen with the election. Um, It's going to happen, but we're just not sure if it's going to be a traditional format where people go into their polling location and cast their ballot, or if it's going to be where it's an absentee ballot situation or like a mail-in ballot like the city of Rockville did to their credit and did very well this year. So so I don't know what's going to happen. And I don't know what the, about the, the early voting period. I I'm, I'm guessing that soon the governor will make an announcement on how that process is going to work in consultation with the Maryland State Board of Elections. And I know that if I ever had a question about election law or how anything happens in the Maryland uh, election system, Jared Demarius is like a brilliant guy at the Maryland State Board of Elections. And he probably, he'll probably get mad at me for mentioning his name because I'm sure he's diluted with information uh, in the last couple of days. But <laughs> or there, he might appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. that's awesome. But uh, June, June the 2nd is when June 2nd. the primary will happen. And then, of course, the November election will take place. But Chebra yes. Evans, Board of Education President of Montgomery County Public Schools, I appreciate you being here. I appreciate you spending Sunday afternoon to, to no share problem. your perspective and what's going to be happening in the future and uh, all about education policy. So thanks for joining me. I really, I Thank wish we could you, have Ryan. met in person, but I know. Uh, this is the, this is the second best gig, I guess. Absolutely. No, this is great. I'm glad I could see you and still talk with you and connect. Yep. This was really important. So thank you. Yeah, thanks. And uh, have a great week being home and social distanced. (laughs) Okay, you as well. Take care. See you later. Okay, okay, bye-bye. Due to the coronavirus outbreak, Maryland's 2020 primary election is now slated for Tuesday, June the 2nd. Be sure to check out a minor detail podcast on iTunes, iHeartRadio, CastBox, Overcast, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. A minor detail podcast is on the web at aminordetailpodcast.com. For Maryland political news, please visit aminordetail.com. I'm Ryan Miner. Thanks for listening.